I never knew how much I valued talking <laughs> until I couldn't do that anymore. How hard it is to communicate even with your wife with charades and notes and gestures. And I also realized how much I take health for granted. And some of you have been far worse than what I have been through in the last few weeks. But as I went through that time, it, it occurred to me that very often we take a lot of things for granted. And we are in a series, you might remember, it's been a while, on things that are really important, core values of Berean Baptist Church. And just to kind of review so we remember where we have been, we looked at God-glorifying worship, proclaiming God's worth by how we live through the week, but also as we meet and gather together for corporate worship. And at the heart of that is a second core value, Bible-centered teaching, God's Word systematically and carefully taught and applied to our lives. And as those core values are being lived out, it really moves us into a third one that we looked at several weeks ago, ever-expanding witness, reaching out individually and together. And we saw some of that with the CSO video this morning. Locally and globally with the story of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And a couple of weeks ago, Lamar, Sally, and Jennifer DeKrieger did a great job of challenging us and encouraging us to keep moving outward. There is a fourth critical value I want us to think about together this morning. And Lamar visualized that when he put the chairs up here and talked about them. And that is the reality that we must hold to Christ-centered transformation of lives. That salvation is not simply a decision I make at some point and then I just move on without any change, without any difference. It's not a prayer that I pray and then go on with life like nothing's happened. Or maybe walking an aisle or making some other kind of a decision. Salvation is about life change. And one of the core values of Berean Baptist Church is that we believe in Christ-centered transformation. That life change, that transformation is rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so we had a foundation for that late last week as Spencer talked about Colossians 1 and those verses that speak of who Christ is and what he has done. And when he and I were talking uh, back when I thought he was only preaching once, um, he, he asked, well, can I preach out of Colossians? And I said, yes, but not these two passages because I'm going to be using them. And so in God's providence, he spoke about who Christ is from the passage that follows what we will look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, I encourage you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 14. As we look at the opening of the book of Colossians, 
Paul thanks God for those people in Colossae whom he's never met. And in verses 3 through 8, he thanks God for the work that God is doing in their lives. In essence, he says, God is transforming you. You are being changed. But then he picks up and he even uses some of the same language in verses 9 and following to say, but keep on changing. Keep on being transformed by the power of Christ in your lives. Paul and Timothy's continual and intense prayer for them and by extension for us is for Christ-centered transformation. But what does that mean? I mean, it's all well and good to say we believe in Christ-centered transformation, but what what exactly should be happening if we believe that? What does it look like? Well, Paul's prayer helps us to understand what this transformation is like. The very first truth that he points out to us is that transformation occurs when we know what God wants and we live it out. When we have an ever-growing grasp of God's Word, of this book, which is, of course, the second core value we talked about. And when that growing knowledge begins to change us from the inside out so that we are transformed. Look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, here's my prayer. Here's my goal for you to be completely controlled by God's will. That God's word will pervade every area of life. And so he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And if you trace the idea of filling through Paul's writings, what you will find is essentially what he means when he talks about being filled is to be controlled by something. Here to be controlled by God's will, by the knowledge of God's will. And in Greek, one of the basic words for knowledge is gnosko, but here Paul takes that word and he adds a prefix to it to amplify it. I want you to be filled with the full knowledge of God's will. Well, how do we know God's will? From the Bible, from what he has revealed to us So that what we do is not based on our desires. It's not based on our opinions. It's not based on our habits. It's not based on our culture. But it is based on God's word. As we pastors have talked to you about the opposition to proposal three, you need to understand that at the root of proposal three is the exact opposite of what Paul's talking about. Because at the root of proposal three, as the root of much of our culture is, I want to do what I want, when I want. I want to be in control of my life and my body. And in fact, not just my body, but if I'm a pregnant woman, the body of that little baby inside of me. I want to be in charge. And Paul says transformation means that we're not in charge. Transformation means that we are completely controlled by God's will. 
And if that is the case in our lives, it will show in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom is is getting a grasp of what God has to say. But understanding is then taking that and living it out in our lives so that our lives are being controlled by what God has to say to us. So that it's not just that we know that God tells us that we ought to be honest in our business dealings and dealings with people, but we are honest. It's not just that we know that God says we ought to control our tongues and not be slandering and gossiping, but that we are in the power of Christ controlling our tongues. It's not just that we know that God's will, God says we are to be sexually pure, but that we're living that out in our lives as they are controlled by the will of God. So if we are being transformed, God's word is making a difference in how we live. So that second part of Paul's goal, so that our lives continually bring glory to God. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Our lives, Paul likes to use the the idea of a walk, a walk through life. Our lives are lived in a manner that is worthy of Christ. The idea of worthy is really of equal weight. It's like a balance scale. So that on one side you have Jesus and who he is and his character, and on the other side you have my life, how I'm living. Now, the picture is misleading because in in this life, our lives will never be perfectly in balance with who Jesus is, but that ought to be our goal. That the way I live my life should be a reflection of equal weight with who Jesus is. Or another way to say it would be who I am in Christ, my position in Christ should be reflected, should be in balance with the way I live my life. And again, the goal is that we become more and more and more in balance until the day Jesus takes us home, and then it's fully in balance. Our actions reflect his character. God's truth impacts our ethics. We can't separate learning and knowing from living. What we know must be lived out in our lives. The parallel to that manner worthy of the Lord is that we are fully pleasing to him. Those of us who are parents or grandparents, we know what it is like to watch our children or grandchildren make good decisions, to watch them succeed in what they're doing. And we, we watch that and we think, that really pleases me. I wonder as God observes our lives, If he says, what they're doing really pleases me. That's our goal, not to please our culture, not to please people around us, but to please him, to live lives worthy of him. And so Paul reminds us that transformation occurs when we know what God wants, but not only we know it, we live it out and apply it and do it. 
So are we more and more controlled by God, what God wants or what we want? And I would tell you that as you look at our culture, as you look at those who name the name of Christ in our culture, sadly, that's not always the case. The way our marriages are is often a lot like the world. The way we spend our money, the way we handle debt and credit cards looks like the culture around us. Our sexual morals reflect more of the culture than of God's Word. And even our attendance in gathering for corporate worship, which is a core value. I was at a conference earlier this week, and one of the speakers was was talking about the fact that since COVID, across the nation, there has been a precipitous decline in church attendance by those who say they are followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul challenges us, if our lives are really being impacted by what God wants and God's will, then we ought to be living differently than the people around us. Okay, but what does that mean? I mean, I want to still get my hands around, how do I know if God's at work? How do I know if he's transforming me? And Paul's going to help us with that in the rest of his prayer. It's going to sound in some ways a lot like the first part of the prayer. Because what Paul wants us to understand is that transformation is revealed. We see it when our lives are different than before. Not only different than they were before we knew Christ, but different than they were last year, last month. Paul grammatically connects this glorifying and pleasing God with changes that take place in our lives. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, and then he says this is what it looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now we throw that phrase bearing fruit around a lot as followers of Jesus, but what does it mean? What does it mean to bear fruit? And your mind might go as mine did to John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me and without that abiding you can't bear fruit. Or you might think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and all of those other qualities. I think as you look at all of the New Testament, bearing fruit can really be summarized by saying continually showing Christ-like character. Back in verse 6, Paul said the Colossians were doing that. Now he says, keep doing it. Keep living it out so that our lives are characterized by showing Jesus. Sound familiar? That's just what he's been talking about in the verses ahead of this. Notice he doesn't say that our good works are the fruit He says, we bear fruit in every good work. It's like our good works are the sphere, they're the environment in which we bear fruit. And so as we go to school tomorrow or as you're engaged in extracurricular activities, as you go to the job site or the workplace, as you move around your neighborhood, as you interact with people at the PTA or as you go to the voting booth, those things that you are doing that we would say good are good, 
should ultimately be a reflection of who Jesus is. So that how I interact with my people around me at work or at school or in my neighborhood, even those people that bug me, should be a reflection of Jesus. So that our good works are not just nice actions, they reflect Christ-likeness. And notice what he says. As that happens, we increase in the knowledge of God. Sounds a little like verse 9, doesn't it? I want you to increase in an understanding, a knowledge of the will of God. And now he says, as you put that into practice and you live like Jesus, you're going to grow in understanding who God is. And as you grow in understanding who God is, you will continually be changing and living out God's will and bearing fruit, and that will lead to more knowledge of who God is. And so you've got this circle going on that we know who God is, we know what he wants, we live it out, and that leads to us knowing him better. So I wonder today if you would say, yes, I know God better today than I did on October the 23rd of 2021. I can understand more about who God is and what he wants and what he's doing in my life. Transformation is seen when our lives are characterized by showing Jesus. But if that is still maybe a little bit uh, nebulous, Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty. And he says transformation is seen when our lives reflect endurance and patience in the trials of life. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I think Paul starts out not with what should be seen, but with the power to do what he's about to talk about. Because if he just started out by saying, you need to be showing all endurance and patience with joy, I would say, maybe you would too, I can't do that. And that would be true in myself, in yourself. And so Paul starts out with the power that is available to us to do what he's about to talk about. And he says, you can be continually strengthened. It's passive. You aren't doing the strengthening. God is. And then he makes a really strong statement. You can be empowered with power. The same two root words are there, strengthen and all power, according to his glorious might, a different word, so that we can be strengthened and the measure of that strengthening is the, the very glorious power and character of God himself. When we were in Europe, you know, you have to do kind of a shift in mindset because all of a sudden you're dealing with meters and kilometers. And I remember as we were at three o'clock in the morning headed for the airport and looking at the signs and thinking, huh, 120 kilometers. I have no idea how long that's going to take us. And then you got to deal with money that's different. You got to deal with euros instead of dollars because they measure things differently than we do. Paul says here, there is power that is available, and the measure of that power is not kilowatts. The measure of that power is the very glorious might and character of God. And so you and I have available for us 
to live Christ-like the power of God through Christ to us and the presence of the Spirit in us. And the interesting thing is, he's not talking about power to do great miracles. He's not talking about power to part the Red Sea or bring the dead back to life. He's talking about power to live like Jesus. And notice what he says. We have the power available to us to endure. That endure is to deal with hard, difficult situations and to be patient. Patience is bearing with difficult people. So hard, difficult situations and difficult people, that kind of sums up life, doesn't it? And he says, you have all power for all endurance and patience. Peggy and I enjoy watching the amazing race and seeing the amazing places they go to. A couple weeks ago, a father-daughter team were really struggling And she just kept saying, I want to quit. I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. And if they'd finished last, they would have been out, but they didn't. And so they arrived at that stopping point, and the host asked her, do you want to keep going? And there was a moment of silence as she wrestled, and then she said, yeah, I do. That's endurance. Endurance. See, God works in us to cultivate that endurance. I told Peggy last week, because I've been working on this sermon a couple weeks, hoping to preach it last Sunday, but I told her this is, a, this is a lousy section for me to be working on right now. We had some interesting experiences getting back from Romania. It took a day longer than it should have. And in the midst of all of that, I thought, you know what? I I didn't handle it perfectly, but I think I showed more endurance and patience than I would have a couple of years ago. And so I came through that thinking, thank you, God. You, You are at work. You're changing me. And then about two hours out of Detroit, I thought, oh, I've got what Taya had. And for the next two weeks, I have dealt with this physical thing, and and it's like, God, I don't want to endure anymore. I'm done with you working on me right now. But he wasn't done. And so I have had to learn to endure. And it's not easy. And I would tell you, I haven't done it perfectly. And the last two words, they're the real kicker. All endurance and patience with joy. There's some commentators who think that last phrase belongs with verse 12, and grammatically that's possible, but I don't think that's where it belongs. I think Paul is saying you need to learn to endure and to be patient, not just gritting your teeth, but showing joy in the trial because Jesus, Jesus did. Are we growing in endurance and patience? That's a mark of transformation. And then Paul gives one last mark in this passage. There are certainly others. 
He says, our lives overflow with thankfulness for God's amazing grace, giving thanks to the Father. Joseph Stalin was wrong about almost everything in life, let's just be honest. But this quote attributed to him is certainly wrong. He said, gratitude is a sickness suffered by dogs. Really? You know what I would say if I could talk to him? No, gratitude is a virtue seen in transformed people. See, thankfulness comes. Gratitude comes when we realize we didn't have anything to do with the good things that are coming to us or who we are in Christ. It's all grace. We sang that earlier. Gratitude's really kind of the other side of the coin of grace. When we understand how graced we have been, we can't help but be grateful and thankful people. So let's just look really, really quickly. You could do a whole sermon on verses 12 through 14 as Paul, using past tense verbs, saying, this is what God has done for you. Be thankful. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God qualified you and me who were totally unqualified to receive an inheritance we don't deserve. The inheritance of saints of set-apart people, holy to God. That is not who I am in myself. It's not who you are in yourself. But God did it. We sang it earlier. All I have is Christ. He's the one who's done this. And so he's given us this inheritance that we don't deserve. And he's rescued us from being under the control of darkness in that kingdom of darkness. And moved us. He didn't just... Rescue us and leave us out there in no man's land. He transferred us, and we would expect him to say, into the kingdom of light, but that's not what he says. Into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves above everyone and everything. He's made us heirs with Christ because of his grace. And in doing that, He has redeemed us and forgiven our sins so that right now we can live lives that please Him, that are wholly acceptable to Him. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we going to take grace for granted? Or will we be grounded in gratitude and thankfulness? While we were in Romania, the granddaughters introduced Peggy to a kid's baking show. They were watching that show online, but even when you're watching it online, guess what? There are commercial interruptions. And so it became kind of a game. As the commercial would come on, the girls would say, Grandma, what are they selling us? And she would say things like, well, they're selling you that if you would just buy this car, your life would be full and happy. If you would just buy this skin product, everything would be great for you. And as I listened to that kind of game going on, I thought, no, what they're selling is discontentment. 
that who I am and what I have isn't enough. I need something else. I need something more. I need to be somebody else. And as followers of Jesus, yes, we are still being changed and we are still being transformed, but we ought to be thankful people because of who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. And that thankfulness, that contentment is a mark of transformation. Transformation that is seen as Christ is lived out in our daily lives with endurance and patience and thankfulness. I think a lot of times when we think of transformation, we think that somehow God zaps us and we turn into kind of like the Avenger superheroes. You know, suddenly we're just transformed into something that's wholly different and we can go out there and conquer worlds. And what Paul says is transformation is really about Jesus changing us so that we live our daily lives different than they were before, different than they were last year, last month, different than the world and the culture around us. And these things that he says are signs of transformation, they're also things that you and I can pray for in our lives and the lives of others. Because that's what Paul's doing here. He's praying for these things in their lives. These are things that cooperating with the work of the Spirit in us and the power of Christ in us, we can work on to the glory of God. As a church, we believe in Christ-centered transformation. Who Christ is and what he's done, what we heard about last Sunday, they're the foundation for transformation. It's Christ-centered. And it occurs when we know this book, we know what God wants, and we live it out, and it shows up in lives that are different and are continuing to be different. It is a core value of Berean Baptist Church. And I want to challenge you, as I will share in a minute, I challenge myself to continue to be transformed. But I also want to encourage you that transformation is happening here. After the missions conference, I had an email conversation with Jennifer DeKrieger thanking her for her ministry, and she sent me an email back, and I asked her, Jennifer, can I share that with the church body? Because I think it will help. It will encourage that somebody who isn't here on a regular basis can look and say, you know what? Lives are being changed. Here's what she writes. Our weekend at Berean was highly encouraging. I am overwhelmed by God's goodness and clear grace. He's the one doing it, being poured out on his people. I met so many with sincere faith that want to serve the Lord and are plugged into different ministries there at Berean. She's saying, I met people whose lives are being transformed. I'm praying fervently that God works in the hearts of several families at Berean to step out and serve, perhaps with us in Mongo. That's ongoing transformation. It was highly encouraging to hear from the mouths of so many people about a deep love for Christ. Transformation. Those are the ones we need, no matter what stage of life or set of talents they may have. 
She's saying what we need on the mission field and what Berean Baptist Church needs is transformed people. And God is doing that. Be encouraged, but also realize God is still working to change you and to change me. God's always at work. And I can look back over these last couple of weeks and see what God is doing, at least a little piece of it in my life. I have, for most of my adult life, enjoyed really good health and been very, very thankful for that. I do not like not being able to do what I'm supposed to be doing. I do not like having to hand off responsibilities that are my responsibilities to other people And so I think in some of the thankfulness for health that God had given me, there was also an element of pride. Probably still is. But God was at work. I had to admit, I'm I'm not going to be able to preach last week. I'm not going to be able to do some of these things. And though I don't like endurance and patience with joy, I can see the fingerprints of God in my life. And I trust that as you look back over the last week, month, the last year, you can see the fingerprints of God as He works in transforming you. Keep it up, brothers and sisters. Cooperate with what God is doing in your life. Christ-centered transformation is a core value. God working in us and through us to see our lives, our relationships, our homes, our city, our nation changed by His power. It's not us, it's Him. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, I've been talking to people who do, who are being changed, but if you know that's what you need, can I encourage you before you leave this morning to talk to me, to Pastor Steve, to Pastor Ryan? If you're watching us online, I encourage you to get in touch with us. We would love to share how Jesus can transform your life. And for those of us who have, keep going. Press on toward the mark for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, transformation is never easy. It is often painful, and yet it is what you have called us to as followers. Thank you that you, by your power, by the work of Christ and the presence of the Spirit in us, give us what we need for life and godliness. So I pray for me as I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here and watching online that we would cooperate with the work of sanctification that the Spirit is doing in our lives for your glory. In our Savior's name we pray.